Welcome to the Talent Exchange. Welcome back. I'm Jess, Head of Marketing at Networks. We connect great talent with fantastic businesses nationwide through intuitive applicant tracking technology and supportive recruitment campaigns. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by the incredible Omar, founder and CEO of tech startup Fluxed. A software engineer with over 20 years experience working within a wide range of sectors for a number of well-known companies, both in Silicon Valley and London, including DeepMind Google, Omar is now working with a fantastic team focusing on artificial intelligence to bridge the gap between well-being and technology, both in the workplace and throughout society. Omar is joining us today to share his insights into how AI is in a prime position to transform workplace well-being and it's going to be a brilliant session today. So please introduce yourself for the listeners, Omar. So my name is Omar Latif. I am the founder of a group of companies called Fluxed. So Fluxed Health, Fluxed Intelligence, Fluxed Community and Fluxed NHS. The communities are loosely based around artificial intelligence. My background is AI. I work for Google for a lifetime, it feels like, in Silicon Valley and London. And the topic of interest, I suppose, is Fluxed Health, where we have a mental health and well-being app. So that is me. Hello. Fantastic. And welcome. Welcome to the podcast. So today we're going to be talking about how AI is in the prime position to help transform workplace well-being. So something you are well versed on, so very excited to get stuck in. So in the last 12 months, there has been a real spotlight on employee mental health and well-being as we've all navigated the challenges surrounding isolation, changes in working environment, new physical distance between us when collaborating at work, etc. And there's been some significant changes in working practices and much greater reliance on technology in our working lives. So how do you feel technology can go further to support mental health and well-being. I know a lot of organisations have started to explore this, but obviously you're probably a little bit further down the road. Share a little bit about your experience. So firstly, with this, that's a good question. Our habits are going to change now. Post-pandemic, what does the working world look like? Are we going to go back to what it was pre-pandemic or are we going to go to something new? My personal belief is that successful companies and companies that will navigate successfully the changes will have a hybrid approach. One thing that I was quite surprised about when I moved from London back up north, back to Manchester, I was quite shocked with how archaic a lot of companies were with their thoughts on what the working day should be like. Nine to five. I haven't done a nine to five since my first job out of uni. And I you know, okay, yes, now I'm a founder of a company, but if I wasn't, I would refuse to work for something like this. You know, some people are morning people. I'm a horrible person in them. I literally have Tourette's until about 10, 11 o'clock, but you know, people got to get their kids to school and a whole load of other things. And the first thing we need to do is look at how is the world of work going to change? Those that will survive will have a hybrid approach. I'm not saying it's remote. It's all remote first or it's all, you know, one day in the office or you know it's not regimented that's the first thing that we have to look at but then the question is how how will technology help to support mental health and well-being well it's simple as we become more displaced from the world of work and the office technology will keep us connected which was the purpose of technology in the first place technology has evolved into something which now is very divisive because you know it's a tool for people to cause disruption 
But what it can do with us being separated and having more hybrid approach, it can help us to stay connected. We're doing this via Zoom. We can stay connected via emails. There's that side of things. But the biggest power of technology is that we can start to monitor and track well-being. We can also start to do that in terms of commercial aspects, in terms of how do we use technology to make sure our employees are actually okay. I don't need to go through the statistics of mental health and well-being and the loss through the economy. They, they are thrown about all the time. But the biggest thing is a happy workforce is a more engaged workforce. Our company is based on our own research where we, for 10 years, have spoken to over 3,000 people, 3,126 people, if I'm being specific, 3,126 people who've either tried to take their own life or suffered from depression, anxiety, or burnout. Work is a major thing. You know, work and purpose and feeling engaged, that's a big thing. It's not going to work for every company, but if you're a company which has a lot of people at the low end of the socioeconomic scale or high performance, it's everything. And what technology can do is it can bridge that gap between what is being told and what isn't being told. It can help people to communicate. Our research also shows that, you know, people of a certain age, millennials, they're not going to talk to you face to face or via a Zoom call, but they're more likely to engage in a chat box. So as the world of work changes, so does our approach and our solutions. And technology is a big answer to that. Do you think organisations are best placed to support people? I know that we talk about the the reasons why employers should be looking to support mental health and well-being in the workplace because it helps with productivity, talent retention and a wealth of other aspects of managing teams. Do you think that they are best placed to support since we do spend such a, a large proportion of our lives at work? That's a great question. Within what we're doing and the conversations we've had to HR, it's a yes and a no, and it's all contextual and it's all dependent on the company and it's actually all dependent on HR. I've had conversations with HR uh, personnel who work for companies with thousands of people in and they've said, well, why do I need something like that? I'll just train all the managers in how to spot mental health signs. It's like, okay, if psychologists and therapists can't pick them up, how is a manager with a couple of days training going to pick this up? And my answer has always been, I would not want anyone that I know to work in a company if that is your ethos. Companies are the best places to pick this up because of the interaction, day-to-day, face-to-face, online. Is it a responsibility for a company? No, it's not. It's not a responsibility for a company. Is it something that a company should do? Well, if you want people to work at your company... If you want a workforce who are going to stick with you, yes, 100%. But it's, as I said, it's, it's all contextual. If you're you know, Uber, do you really need to do that? Because you'll just get a whole line of people in and they'll leave as soon as they have something else to, to go back to a high performance company. Well, yes. If you actually want to build a company, it's one of the things that you need to do. Some really, really interesting points there, especially about, I know there's been quite a, a big wave of people and it's and it's positive that there's been quite a lot of people looking at mental health first aid training and getting support in the workplace. But you're right in the fact that it doesn't work for everybody and it it's not obvious to everybody, regardless of the short amount of training you've had. And sort of bringing technology in to help support that and bridge that gap can be quite transformational. So the, the mm. potential for using AI, because you've talked a little bit about AI, with greater effect in the workplace is clearly extensive. From automating candidate matching from a recruitment point of view, aiding removal of bias or aiding internal processes. 
and it does extend as we started to talk about there into mental health and well-being however the general understanding of this potential is quite elusive not a lot of people know what AI is they might think it's automation where it's it's actually not automation they're two different things so how do you feel leaders can to get better access to understanding that what AI has the potential to do and, and what what maybe it can do from your perspective with your technology there is a common misconception that AI is automation. Yes, that is one part of AI. It's the most simplistic part of AI. Where is AI powerful and what can it do? Well, there are two things that I always say to try to simplify why AI is so powerful. AI can show us points of connection that we never knew existed. It can show us an A and B that we never knew existed or we never would have looked for. It can also help us, I mean, it's quite philosophical, it can also help answer questions we never knew we should ask. That is the power of AI. That is the power of data. That is the power of actually having good data sets and being able to say, do you know what? This is the time when somebody is gonna be stressed because of all these data points that we're taking in. These are the points where people are feeling low or this is the point just before burnout. AI is the simplistic side is automation. It makes life easier, but where it comes into its own is patterns. Maths is patterns and so is AI. And that's where I feel that something like what we're doing, Fluxed Health, that's the power of what we're doing, where we have our app uh, with all its features. But, you know, you can go get Calm, Headspace. There's a whole raft of nonsense out there, which is, you know, as I always say, papers over the cracks. But our approach is that we can feed back data. Once we have an engaged user, we have up to 80,000 data points on an individual. To put that into context, Facebook has 52,000. We can show this back to a company, anonymized, obviously, to say, this is when people are feeling stressed. This is when people are starting to look at burnout. These are the problems people are facing. And that is the power of AI that it can show you points of connection and correlations that you never knew existed. Do you think it's important that leaders understand AI? Because obviously like you wouldn't understand everything. The point of being a leader is knowing when you haven't got the understanding or the knowledge and you know, bringing people externally in who do have that expertise. So it's sort of a, a bit of a thing that people feel like they need to understand AI to be able to harness it themselves. Would you say that that's not the case? People should be looking to experts and, and partnering with other organisations to explore the benefits of AI? Well, if they understood AI, they'd be creating and writing AI. Not to go off on a tangent, but I do also feel that we're in a, an era of anti-intellectualism where we famously had a politician saying we're sick and tired of experts because obviously those experts negate his, his narrative. You don't need to understand the ins and the outs of AI, but what you do need to sort of understand is this is something which is there to enable and to help you. It's the evolution of a workforce. People who don't jump on board with this, they'll be left behind. And that's the power that AI can also be condensed. You know, you can also create dashboards for HR where they can actually be able to understand their workforce like nothing ever before. And, you know, what I'm, you know, not to talk about what we're doing too much, but it's not through people filling out questions. It's through intuitive AI. It's basically doing everything your phone is doing, but not to sell to you, but to look after you. And it's, it's, it's about power for the employee and the employer. If you can make better decisions based on data to help your workforce, which then means 
I will be able to help us as a company. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Some really, really interesting points there. Thank you. So you've talked quite a lot about data and the, the comprehensive data required and involved in sort of your application. And, and obviously that it's quite vast and therefore it must come with some ethical challenges. It's something that a lot of HR professionals are challenged with managing a lot of data. And there's a lot of other processes and things you have to think about surrounding that data to make sure that they're handling it correctly. How does Flux plan to, to tackle the, the ethical aspect of that? Obviously, mental health and well-being is incredibly emotive. It's incredibly personal. It's incredibly, you know, to the individual. And, and how do em employees and organisations then engage in that combined sort of conversation so that the organisation can offer better support, but the employee doesn't feel like it's maybe... Com I know it shouldn't be compromising their position, but that's how it can feel sometimes for the employee. We feel that there are no ethical issues if you are open, upfront, and you have a model which encourages congruency within what you're trying to say and what you're actually doing. We have come up with a new template for data, which is a co-ownership of data, which bypasses the employer. So the user, the staff, and ourselves as a company will co-own that data. This works on so many levels, having learned from my past employees where they have made mistakes and not been open about it. The ethical issues only arise when you don't tell people or when you sell people's data. Now, we've also just had the NHS with their data opt out. The amount of ethical issues around that are just incredible. But what's even more incredible is that nobody has batted an eyelid or it's not been spoken about. I just don't understand this from the point of view that with the people listening now, if I said to you, would you allow a corporation to put a microphone and CCTV in your house and all the built in every room, everybody would rightfully say no. But why do they do this with other areas? You know, if I said, can I actually get your medical data and you don't mind me selling it to insurance companies and to whoever wants to buy it, so maybe I can pump up your premiums or maybe I can look at what your lifestyle entails and. As an employer, can I have a look at your data to see, are you going to be with us for a long time? What would you say? Most likely no. <laughs> Most likely no, but why do we do this? Why, why do we allow companies to do this under the false flag of we're trying to help you when there's been numerous times where that's what is said, but what is done is something completely different. So our model is this co-ownership of data. We've actually put a lot of barriers in to in essence, hinder certain people using what we provide, but our thought is for all the amount of dropouts we get, we will have people who are engaged with the process. For example, Jess, um, when was the last time you read your T's and C's when you updated your software? I wish I could give you an honest answer, but I don't have one. <laughs> well, the honest answer is the right answer because me even being in the tech world, I've never done it. I've never read through my T's and C's and anybody who says they have, are lying or they've got a lot of time on their hands but you know we will have something similar we'll have like a big scroll down t's and c's that you have to press accept but then we've got additional layers in there which we're going to have a video explainer of this is how we're taking your data this is what we're doing with your data this is how you're in control of your data then someone will have to answer like you know a few little questions so we know they've watched it and they've understood it and they press yes and then they get to use our services 
we know we'll have dropouts, but do we care? No, because we'd prefer to have, let's say, 100 dropouts and 10 people use it who are engaged and know what they're doing. And our whole model exists on openness, that we know we're going to have companies who want, will want to look at the data, do research with it. So what we'll do, for example, we'll send a notification to a user saying, this company who are owned by these people, uh, they want your data for X, Y, and Z. This is what they'll do, how they'll do it, and how they'll get rid of the data. If a user says no, nothing happens. If they say yes, they will get their data, but they'll also get cut the profit. So it's keeping people in control. And something quite interesting that I learned from one of our advisors, Dr. Amir Haman, who interestingly enough, he was a doctor who replaced Harold Shipman at his surgery. I mean, that's another story. A great lesson that we've learned is that if you show people their medical data, not for them to say, right, you need to make decisions on your, your intake of medicine, for example. If you show people their medical data, it empowers them to make better life choices. And that's what you want to do. Empower people to make better life decisions, not to be their own doctor, because let's be realistic. You can Google anything and confirmation bias will lead you there. If I want, I can find on Google evidence to support that the world is flat. That confirmation bias, it does exist. But what you do with that is that you empower people to make better life choices, better life decisions, not to diagnose themselves, because that's what the experts have to do. We have to remember that experts are experts for a reason. Even though experts will never call themselves experts, contextually speaking, to the average person they are. That was a really interesting exploration of data there. And obviously data is a really important aspect of the HR function. And that'll be quite a, it's quite an interesting take on the management of data that you're going down that avenue with, with Flux there. Another angle is that a lot of people have been looking at other ways in which they can support their teams through mental health and well-being. And we've all seen a rise in social media posts from employees nationwide talking about deliveries that they received through the post and fundraising coffee mornings and deliveries of hampers. Do you think that really hits the mark? Because obviously mental health is a lot more complex than that and it is important to be doing those kind of initiatives. But, you know, it's a lot more than a, an Instagrammable picture. So, so how do you think that your app takes it further? How does Flux enable people to, to go that one level deeper to really support the mental health and well-being of, of teams? So what I've said, and I base this off the research that we've done, I also base this off my own personal experience where twice I've tried to take my own life. My research and everything that I have been told, looked at, do, you, do people honestly think fr fresh fruits and yoga Wednesdays is going to help somebody who's feeling suicidal or burnt out or somebody who's worried about bills? It's bandwagon jumping. What really does irk me as well is we don't talk about the right things. It's quite easy to talk about mental health, but is it easy to talk about politics? Because for me, mental health is politics. We talk about yeah, let's break the stigma, but we never have the right discussions about why are waiting times increasing? Why is there a lack of services? Why are black people more likely to be sectioned more than white people? We never talk about the politics of it on the, you know, the cuts, the underfunding. That's what we need to be talking about. First time I went to the doctors to say I was feeling suicidal, I had an eight month wait. If your company, as I said, employs at the low end of the socioeconomic scale, 
do you honestly believe fresh fruits and yoga is going to do something? Do you know what? It will help with well-being. Will it do anything to solve other problems? No. One of our clients, they have implemented a whole load of well-being and mental health resources. They have been chatting to us for two years and waiting for us for two years to install what we're doing because they're a high-performance company. Within the last, take the pandemic out of it, the last two years, minus the pandemic, they've had 11 people throw themselves off the building. Now, can we just sort of be realistic and say, what is fresh fruit, yoga, and an Instagram post actually doing? What has to change is culture. What has to change is actual support. What has to change is attitudes. So rather than signposting and doing things for your Instagram, do things because you mean it. Yeah, this whole fresh fruit, yoga, shut up. It comes back to that sort of conversation about authenticity, doesn't it? And mm. how that we're, we're all so exposed to everything on the internet. There's so much transparency that it's really easy for you to read through material or see something online and, and question whether that's there as a as a marketing tactic or whether it's there mm. as, a, as a sort of a, a tick box exercise as opposed to it actually being authentically something that the organisation values or understands or is trying to support, I guess. Yeah, and authenticity shines through. What's the example that we've had recently? Brewdog. Brewdog have always marketed themselves as this great place to work where it's all about the people. What's come out recently? That's not what it says. The face that we have and what we portray on social media, most people will see through it and most people are starting to see through it. It's, it's a case of why are you telling other people when your people in the company are saying something different? And how bad a judgment do you must you have of mental health to think that creating this sort of yoga Wednesdays, fresh fruit, this safe space, unless you mean it, it doesn't do anything. Unless you understand the root cause of why people are getting to burnout, are taking their own lives, it's it's you know, it's bandwagon jumping. So how does applications like your Flux application, how does that help organisations, but more importantly, the, the employees to have the knowledge or support? What, how does it work in practice? So neuroscience teaches us that our brain receives 40 million bits of information per second, but we're only consciously aware of 70 bits of it. Data can also tell when somebody is pregnant before they even know to get a pregnancy test because of their online behaviour and how their data changes. We're doing the exact same, but for mental health. Our whole company was set up on the ethos of intervention before you know you need intervention, being able to spot the signs. And as I mentioned, you know, there are plenty of apps out there, Calm, Headspace, plenty of companies out there doing things within the mental health space. But we've been set up with the purpose of trying to do something deeper. We're not just here as an app to help you get a better sleep. We're here for something bigger, which in essence is trying to get people to stop taking their own lives having lost people close to me and having been there, if we can facilitate code technology to help people, especially in the workplace, that's a win-win situation. But our technology is all about trying to find the nuances in people through their behavior, stuff that they are aware of and stuff that they're not aware of. You know, we can understand people's voices when they're stressed and when they're not stressed. Uh, facial recognition, how they're typing. 
because our AI is incredibly intuitive, you know, our tech team, we're all ex-Oxbridge, we're all ex-Google. It's built on something deeper, which is not just one aspect of artificial intelligence, it's multiple aspects to build a better picture of the user to actually help you with your well-being. It's amazing that, you know, there are aspects where a lot of people have unresolved trauma, which they need dealing with. But then there's also the other side where nuanced changes in your behavior can have a great outcome. And it's the whole chaos theory, the butterfly effect, James Quick. Small changes can have big outcomes from what you eat to trying to sleep to understanding your neurology. There's so much neuroscience that we never talk about as well. For example, for our, our brains are geared for us to be lazy, firstly. But the second thing, which is really interesting, for every criticism that we have, we need to have five bits of gratitude or five positive things to outweigh that. Once we start understanding neuroscience and our behavior, we can start making those better decisions. And what companies can do with um, you know, a product like ours is actually look at small changes that they need to do to create a happier workforce. And it's not wishy-washy science. You know, this is stuff that my PhD at Oxford University, so we've got people who are ex-Google work on this at Oxford University, neuroscientists, psychologists. This is to stop people taking their own lives and creating a better workforce. We spend more of our time in work than we do at home. I know my work colleagues better than I do some of my family and friends because of the amount of time that we spend with them. It's the best opportunity to make changes or to realize signs. Now, without sounding all corporate wishy-washy, but it's true, you know, a happy workforce is a better workforce is going to do wonders for a company. But it's up to, you know, HR. Do you actually care about your employees? If you're a call center with, you know, high turnover, do you actually care? No, but don't pretend you care because everyone can see through that. You know, if you're a high performance place, then, it's, you know, it's a different it's a different set of questions. If you're a big retail company like two of our early adopters who are large retailers, over 50,000 employees, yeah, they do care because one of them lost 40 million last year and that was all down to mental health. Wow, that's an impressive and shocking figure. Um, to hear so it's quite it's quite interesting what you're saying because I've been doing quite a lot of talks recently about workplace culture and the evolution of sort of workplace culture and um, we talk about culture in the workplace and what what decisions and things you can change to improve the workplace culture or to alter it or to make it a more positive or foster more productive but it is it's very difficult to find that sort of answer to what what is going to actually help because it's what is the problem in the first place? And I guess um, some of the stuff that you've talked about with your application there gives that more, gives you more of a, an, an ability to have an educated decision there because you can understand at a grassroots level what, what the problems and the challenges are that are facing your employees to understand where the issues are as opposed to just bringing in a, a yoga Wednesday and a, and a fruit basket. Mm. We are facing one of the most interesting times in, without sounding so grandiose and philosophical in human history. We've just all been through a global trauma. The world of work is going to change forever. How does that work? How does that look? Are companies going to be left behind? Yes. And I think it's good that a lot of companies are left behind because it gives space for newer, innovative, fresher companies to come on board. You know, I love what you're doing with these podcasts. And, you know, HR is 
it's one of those areas that until we dealt with HR that we don't understand how imperative it is, until you started, you know, trying to look at recruiting, it's then you realize how imperative and how you have to have it right and your messaging is. We, we are in really interesting times. You look at when we previously had something like a global trauma, you know, with like the, the Spanish flu, the Black Plague, what happened after the plague? We had the Renaissance period, which was the most creative time in Europe. But how did that happen? That happened because it stepped out of something which was a global trauma, but also through borrowing from other cultures. I generally believe that the future now belongs to the technologists, the designers, the journalists who can all imagine a better future and a new way of working. And culture-wise, culture rolls downhill. If the people at the top and HR are engaged in changes of culture, then yes, you will get that change. If you recruit people who align with your culture and your values, then you will be fine. I find that there's a notion that, you know, you need to get the best person for a job. I've never recruited someone because they're the best person for the job. It's always been, are these people who are a good team fit? Do they abide by our culture? Are they someone with potential? Why do I want someone who's just going to be good for the job and that's all they're going to do? Is that going to give any room for people below them or beside them to move? Is that person going to be inspirational? Is he going to lead a team? Is he someone that you want to be? He or she going to be someone that you want to be with when things go wrong, which in a startup, it's all about when things go wrong because things never seem to go right. So... Yeah, culture, it's one of those big things, but it's how you recruit. Do you recruit for value? Do you recruit for potential? Or do you just get someone in because they can do the job and you don't care about anything? And generally, those companies will be left behind. And I think it's a good thing. I think we've, we've all been through that, that period. And I think we've all had that. I wouldn't say we've all had loads of time during this last period, but we have all, there has been a bit of a, a theme of reflection, I think, as we've all been through these changes and, and dealt with the different aspects of the pandemic individually and in the workplace. Ourselves have all had that sort of period of reflection. And you talked a little bit there about what you think the, the, the future or the next six to 12 months looks like. If you, if you were speaking to organisations who are also going through this reflection and thinking about their, their teams and the well-being of their teams and how they're, they're managing their workforce going forward, do you have any tips of where people could start if they are looking to try and take this more seriously other than coming and speaking to yourself directly? But where, where, where would you start or tell them to start? I would say probably don't speak to us. Um, speak to your staff first. Speak to your staff and do things that are right by your company and your ethos. I would never tell anyone to do what we do. Um, our interview process, it's a complete bastardization of the Oxbridge and Google process because that's what we're looking for. Would I say that's what uh, other companies should have? No. What's right for you and what's right for your staff? Don't speak to us, speak to your staff. But once they've, they've spoken to the staff and they are thinking of taking it seriously, where, where would you suggest that leaders would go for more information? Because obviously we've talked a little bit about the, the technology and the support that's available and, and how that maybe you don't have that in-house. Where would you start if you were looking? If you'd say you'd gathered some research from your internal teams, it's the what's, what's next? What's next? I would say, again, it's completely dependent on what your staff say. Do you know what? For some staff, it's not about, for some companies, it's not about technology. 
if you're a small company, do you honestly need to be spending money on expensive technology? No. What you need to do is spend time giving your staff that space. Do you know the biggest thing that I've also found that I think it's incredible that how much time we spend in work, but people do not know their team. They do not know their team where they know that, do you know what? Somebody might just be really upset. For example, somebody has gone to the zoo for the entire, for every year. They haven't been to the zoo because of the pandemic. Being able to say, do you know what? Why don't you take that day off and go to the zoo? Do, do you have to bring in technology in order to have a better workforce? No. What you need to have are managers that know their team. Now, as you get bigger as a company, you can't know individuals to that extent. So that's when technology really comes into place. I've always said with technology, it's a case of speak to people that you know who are using things and just remember what works for another company won't work for you. How we are and some of our initiatives that we have for our employers, they're not for everyone. Know your staff, know your company know what you want from a company point of view and from your staff point of view and make sure that everything can align. The things that you're doing here, Jess, are great because it allows people to find out more about what's going on. And I think the worst thing is just to Google stuff and just to find what, you know, you're just finding what's, what has the best SEO. Connect with people and find out what people are doing. Connect with, you know, companies and actually see if they're a company that you want to work with. And technology-wise, there is so much nonsense out there there are so many products doing the same thing just with a different front end do things that actually align with what you want and what the outcome is that's a very honest and, re and refreshing uh, response to that question so thank you for that and, and food for thought for a lot of the people who are listening to the podcast hopefully who are taking their well-being of their employees seriously so we like to sort of end sort of the podcast by asking like a bit of a, a bonus question. And we've sort of talked a little bit about trends, but I just wonder if there's anything else that you think is going to be a big trend in, say, this next six months in the sort of technology and well-being space. I think there are going to be more products that are going to come out. There's going to be more products which are focusing on consumer market. And it's all about marketing, getting celebrities on board. So from a well-being space, there's going to be more products coming out Technology-wise, I think something that has to happen is that I think companies and personnel should start to learn, like Finland, about ensuring that they are digitally aware. The amount of disinformation out there, I think people have to become digitally aware. I think it goes back to, to what you were saying there a bit earlier on about doing your research and, and sort of being digitally savvy and aware as there's more and more content and opportunities and things coming out and just making sure that, especially for organisations, that they're actually focusing on what their employees' wants and needs are and not just getting swept up in the uh, excitement of lots of new ideas, gadgets, apps, uh, technology coming mm. out. It's actually focusing on the, the core fundamental of why they're doing it in the first place and how that aligns to the values and what they're trying to achieve as opposed to just bringing something in because they saw a really cool advert or it was the first thing they googled oh, 100% I mean uh, if you're giving headspace to your employees that's great because I've got headspace but what do you actually get from that do you get any data do you get any insight do you understand your employees anymore if you pay someone they can afford that themselves honestly is, is that a benefit no it really really isn't so let's start making decisions for a purpose 
Thank you so much, Omar, for joining us today. It's been absolutely brindling and very eye-opening for the listeners. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jess. And to all your listeners, uh, be safe. We hope you enjoyed today's session on the power of AI to transform workplace wellbeing. And we hope you'll join us on our other podcast too, where we share insights, top tips and discussions on the latest HR and recruitment trends. For more information about Omar, Fluxed and how AI can be harnessed to proactively implement positive changes in the workplace, check out Fluxed on LinkedIn or visit flux.co.uk. To find out more about what networks are up to and how we are supporting over 450 clients nationwide to attract, engage, manage and onboard top talent, head over to networksolutions.co.uk. Until next time.